this is Tanya Smart and welcome back to the business of poetry. This is part two. Uh, I had this experience, this meeting, a panel discussion with eight lovely people in May and now I'm having the opportunity to release it. And there were a couple things that stood out to me during this this conversation, this panel discussion, and it, it really fluctuated between, you know, the business side and the poetry side, which you know, hence the title of the podcast, um, of this show, this episode, the business of poetry, but each person just brought something unique to the table. For instance, Ashley Hayes, she spoke about her experience meeting Missy Elliott and how that chance meeting with Missy Elliott showing up at her doorstep, how that changed her life. And because of that interaction that let her know that it was time to get a management team behind her. And that's what she did. Um, I also want to mention the spiritual side you have the poet Dennis Amadeus talking about the fact that there's a spiritual aspect to how you charge people and you've got to take a different type of approach because the amount of money that you may charge maybe a community center or a, a small nonprofit may be different than what you'll charge a corporation and I love the fact that he said that when you take that spiritual approach, it offsets the imbalance that we see in the world. And so that, those are some things that stood out to me. But I also want to talk about Ebony Payne English and how frank she was about the fact that she was not being compensated or not being compensated at the rate she felt was appropriate. And so what she did is she set the compensation standard for herself, what the minimum amount that she would accept and not taking anything less. And she was able to come to come to the table and create that compensation package based on the conversation she's had with other artists. She networked networked with artists that were more successful than her. And that and that's great. That's taking the experience of other people and applying it to your life and making adjustments that are necessary. And last but not least, I wanted to talk about the Sanahanu and how he took his previous experience as an executive administrator and he applied his hustle, uh, applied that hustle to what he's doing now, applied the hustle to become a full-time artist. So it goes back to what I was saying, that there is a art and a science to being a poet because you're a business person as well. I also wanted to make mention of Taryn Love Rain's Warwood and how she put a spotlight on not just performing and not just running um not just running a a venue but also wanting to create a space for artists not just the business side but creating that space for artists and then building that business on that platform building a business on creating that space so i hope you enjoy the second part of this podcast the business of poetry this is part two enjoy but I want to get Ebony before she goes. I know she's leaving at three. Um, Ebony, I wanted to, one of the um, final questions that I have, is second to last question is, like, how do you know how to charge? You know, because most businesses, because you guys are, are a business within yourself. So you've got merchandise. So it can be a CD, a book, um, and it can also be t-shirts, hats, anything. Sky's the limit. How do you, as an artist and as a business person, how do you, um, charge how do you know what to charge for your your product I network with artists that are more successful than me that have been doing it longer than me. and I listen when they talk <laughs> and I don't profess to know more than them when they have the experiential knowledge um, and that's how I got all of my prices <laughs> for everything like whatever it may be from my comic books to my curriculum to my poetry CDs to my my chapbooks like it was artists who were more successful than me that were black women that had accumulated a certain amount of wealth doing the things that I was trying to do and I asked them what they charge which is why it's important for other artists to charge and to charge fairly 
because they'd be messing up the market for up and coming artists and making it hard for them to get a living. I had to discipline the Jacksonville community to pay a fair price for a ticket because we have been lowballing them for so long and no no discredit to Nocturnal Escape or or the Cypher or, or any of it because, because they are, I am, you feel me? But what it was, was we had some lazy spenders here in arts and culture. And I had to literally stop performing in Jacksonville and refuse to perform in Jacksonville until they, they were willing to pay something reasonable to come to a show. And um, that was for my mentees, for my Mwaza, who are coming up behind me. And I want them to be able to have lucrative careers. And so the audience is gonna have to know that, okay, $7 is cute or whatever, but that's not what you should be paying for, quality artistic experience. So um, I owe that to the Queen Sheba's. I owe that to the Georgia Mees. I owe that to the Sunny Pattersons. Like I owe that to the Queen God is. I owe that to the Mahogany Browns. You feel me? For those who came before me that was doing it on a bigger, larger scale and didn't mind hollering at me about and and I can also tell you from a promoter standpoint um, early on we had a lot of poets that didn't we were like Nefertiti's only hold 35 people and we had a lot of poets that we just couldn't afford to have and um, and Jacksonville like Savannah like Tallahassee was considered a CD market even on the touring scale with artists so I remember I had a I had a one artist uh, uh, came at me and said, "Hey, this is what I want." And I said, "Okay, I can drive to Atlanta, get a hotel room, watch you eat dinner, and um, and won't and won't have to go to the and and, and and I'll be good." And 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 so what a lot of artists had to I know and this was in the early days a lot of things is when I know Taryn was still charging ten dollars we were charging ten dollars like 10, 15 years ago but I know what a lot of artists in the early days. Um, that we're in some of those uh, artists. The way I know um, we had an artist that came here, uh, the Jacksonville, it was Savannah, myself, Tallahassee, Orlando, Tampa, who are all considered D markets. And we said, this is the rate we're gonna give you. Um, now you can take it or you can leave it. But we, but I knew at the end of the night, I didn't wanna have to, you're not gonna get on some levels what you get in Atlanta, uh, six million people, New York, 10 million, LA, 10 million, Jacksonville got 1 million. And so a lot of times we had to kind of explain it in that way. And I know when I dealt with a lot of artists, I was like, you know what? Anybody that has ever had to go to that ATM machine in the middle of the night, and, and you know that you can only get $400 out. And, you know, and I know I've had to tell artists, hey, direct deposit hit at midnight. If you give me two minutes, I got you because I want to pay you. That's not a good feeling, especially when you've overextended yourself and you know that this is the market that you're in. So I know a lot of us see D markets, you know, your your smaller cities um, uh, couldn't afford with them. And that's why you had a lot of touring, nationally known spoken word artists that haven't been to majority of the country um, because uh, I can't, if, if, if you telling me, hey, I need a plane ticket a hotel and I need five grand, and I'm telling you I only get 50, 70 people, and I told the artist, I said, I'm gonna drive to Atlanta and see you, have a great day. You just won't be coming, you won't be coming nowhere in the state of Florida. I'll talk to my other people in the state of Florida, I'll talk to South Georgia, I'll let them know that, hey, because none of us can afford you, and during that particular time, this particular person never came out to, into this area because no one could afford them. So I think, related to that, and I remember talking to Taryn about Natalie and I was just trying to warn her to, to let her know that I mean, we were just not that market then, and I've seen, and I've also seen a lot of promoters bring artists here and do the um, and charge whatever, but the artist does a walkthrough, and that's a disrespect to your audience when you're doing the artist walkthrough, especially for soul artists. I know Anthony Hamilton came one here when your people paid fifty dollars for a ticket, he did a walkthrough wave, and people were mad. You know, and that's a very bad feeling. So if you want to be true, but I know a lot of those artists didn't um, have probably never came to Florida or never came to some of these smaller markets. But what I've seen is like, cause I mean, when I go to Atlanta, there's 20 spots on the night, you know? And so there's a lot of choices. Whereas here, people don't really have that many choices. So the money thing is an issue sometimes, so. Aaron? Yeah. Yeah, I was gonna say it's um it is definitely it 
it's definitely not a good feeling to um, have to go to the ATM at the end of the night or have to negotiate and be like, hey, you know, I get paid on Friday. Um, I got you. I got you, you know what I'm saying? But um, I, I think for, um, for me, it was just, um, I did that because I, I felt like Jacksonville was missing something, you know what I mean? Like there was, we didn't have a nocturnal escape anymore, you know what I mean? And we didn't have those places so it's just like for me I felt like we had to no matter what it took I felt like it had we've had to um we had to make that sacrifice and make it happen like we paid you know when when Georgia Meat came down here the last time you know I, I remember talking to Georgia and be like hey you know you can stay on my couch you can stay, you can stay with this person or whatever and it was just like you know I the reason that I was able to um negotiate stuff like that was because of Tiffany you know because of the respect that 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 Georgia had for Tiffany and um you know all these other people like Abyss that's the only reason I have those contacts is because of Tiffany and I'm able to say to negotiate and say hey I listen we don't have it you know uh but it was it was just it's always been important to me to 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 keep stuff like that alive in Jacksonville no matter what it took you know, and I wanted to kind of touch on what what the, what the son was saying as far as um, you know making it work. I didn't. I never. It's a whole other story, but I purposely never got into slam poetry, even though I was. There's a lot of people who have been asking me. Um, I've never been to a slam. I've never been to a Southern Fried. I've never been to any of those national slams, and that was a choice that I made a long time ago um, because of some, you know, a couple of conversations I had and I just decided to not do it. And I realized that it was just, you know, touring and having that whole artist life. That just wasn't, that wasn't my, um, I just felt like that wasn't my thing. Like that wasn't my path. Um, I, I always felt like my path was to create the spaces. Like, yeah, I do perform. Yeah, I do get booked for, for gigs and shows um, and performing and, and book for schools and stuff but that's not something that I've all I've never really done poetry or looked at poetry as my main source of income because I've been in corporate America and you know corporate America as much as I loathe it uh it pays my bills and it's it's consistent and I know that if I if I put more of that effort or more energy into um the things that I've been doing as far as poetry I probably could make you know more money than I've ever made in corporate but it was always um, it was always fear-based for me, uh, and then the other thing too was I just needed to be closer to my mom. Simple. That was just, it was just simple like that for me. Um, so I never I never considered poetry um, as something as like to, to be my main my main source of income. What was more important to me, or what is more important to me now, is to be able to have. Uh, memories like you know putting on a Georgia Me show or you know packing out a venue with Tank and the Bangers, bringing Tank and the Bangers here several times, um, you know packing out a venue when Ashley comes or when Joan comes. Like all of that is what's more important because I felt like the more people we had there, the more people we were able to reach. You know, so that that's always just been um, why it's important for me to, to to keep it alive in Jacksonville is because there's nobody else doing it nobody else that was, was was making those sacrifices um and kind of just carrying the torch and I just felt like that was always important thank you so how do you all um how do you know how to charge how do you know um what price to charge for performance or, or merchandise or anything Ashley yeah I um so luckily in my market the college market my agents kind of have a rate that we started at and I found out like a year after I started that my starting rate was lower than a lot of men in my field um so I think <laughs> asking guys what they charge um I I don't have a problem saying that asking white people what they charge I don't have a problem um, doing that. So for merchandise, I have a couple routes, right? So for merchandise, my profit margin is usually 50%. Whatever I pay for it, I'm probably going to charge double. If I'm at a college, I'm probably going to do a $5 discount. That may, that means my shirts are 20 bucks and my bags are 15 bucks. Cool. You know, I know poets who may do a concert venue and then sell $40 shirts. I know one poet who sources organic cotton from South America and it's ethically sourced. Her shirts are 40 bucks. Um, so when I'm in a place to ethically do that and, you know, be able to afford 
do have to trust that my audience can also afford it. So your audience is going to drive your costs. Um, there are some gigs, I usually have like five gigs in a year that I would do for less than my price. That's usually reserved for churches, nonprofits, my mom and them. And even with nonprofits, I say if you plan your budget um, for next year, you can have a $500 budget line, which would make it worth it for me. You can apply for a Poets and Writers Grant. So part of it is educating people on how to pay. So I decide what to charge based on what I'm doing, the market, what, the, uh, what precedent the market has set, and what they can afford. I did a gig for H&M. That was like my last um, corporate gig before this happened. I'm not going to charge H&M what I'm going to charge the little church around the corner. I'm going to charge H&M what I know they can pay. And that H&M check is going to let me do a workshop for little black girls who I don't have to charge, right? So then there's the social justice piece. Um, and I usually charge white people more, no problem saying that. I usually charge men more, I usually charge corporations more. I usually charge people with access to more resources more um, because I know that I'm gonna take that money and then go teach people who these resources aren't reaching. And that's also ethics, um, which is kind of my lane too. <laughs> so yeah, I hope that answers your questions. 50%, um, my performance margin for college is Usually I don't like to have more than 33% in expenses. So I'll use one third. So if you're paying me 900 bucks, that means my plane, my hotel, my rental car, and my food need to be 300 bucks. If you're paying me 1200 bucks, that means my plane, rental car, all of that needs to be 400. I try to keep it at a third. Sometimes it gets more and I'll take it. If it's a really fun Chicago show, but you know, the ticket is more, or the hotel is more, I'll take that. Um, I have turned down shows though that couldn't pay because I was like, by the time I pay my expenses, it's costing me money or I'm breaking even. So you think of your percentage and margins and, and that should kind of guide even. No? Yeah, so to that, I was just gonna say that, yes, we need to know our audience, but we also need to know because the, the venue and whoever's bringing us is an audience as well. We need to know what kind of conversations they're used to having anyway. Cause like what Hayes brought up with, um, you know, H&M as an example, Macy's reached out to me last year to do a poem where they paid me more than they paid their models because I was the entertainment. And, but, but I had to go back and forth with them because I didn't include my agent. It was a local show and it wasn't a college gig, but my agent works with me through the college market. I had to negotiate with them the way they would any other artist. And we did go back and forth. They ended up booking me for it, but they're used to having these conversations. That conversation I had with Macy's and, and what, you know, the tension that may have arisen there is very different than the conversation I'm gonna have with Taryn about bringing me to Jacksonville. I know my audience. I know that Jacksonville is not working with Macy's money, but I want to do this show. I wanted to do the Macy's show too, but I couldn't be at their door like, yeah, anything you give me is what I'll take. That part. It, it's exciting, right? But they, they respect you more as an artist. And what that then did for me was, and, and I can only hope that it opens up the door for other artists so that the next woman who, the next female poet that Macy's goes to and says, oh, we want you to do this show, they know not to shortchange them. And that person now can, they can sit in the dollar amount, you know, um, because they know what they're worth. So just wanted to. Setting a precedent, Ebony mentioned that too. Setting a precedent for your market is top tier. Thank you. Dennis? Yeah, I just want to add, man, on, on, a, on a spiritual level, right? I think we can, I think everybody here, whoever's going to listen to, um, there's cause and uh, actually Hayes, you inspired this about like you know uh, charging these people who you know got it this much money so you could do these workshops for the people who need it, man. And I think there's a spiritual balance in that, man. And then sometimes it goes reverse. Uh, you know, workshops that I've done, um, I put in so much work, and they were for a group, six week workshops, or for group homes, and it was all free. You know what I mean? But I put my heart and soul into that, right? And then on the other side. I have somebody who wants to pay me a stupid amount of money to come perform at a show, right? I get to break that amount of money up between five of my friend poets, right? And then we get to go into the show and nobody even shows up. You know what I'm saying? And it's like, and so there's like, I think there's this universal balance of like, when you when you do your work 
uh, in the right places for the people who need it, right? But the work, the, for the actual work of what you're doing, um, there will be a, a balance of somebody on the other end who doesn't need it, but will definitely pay you way over the top for what you're doing, you know what I'm saying? And I know you can't quantify that, but it is something that I, I just strongly believe in. I've just seen it work in my life so much, you know? And so, uh, and, I, and to what Ashley says, there's a beautiful balance, I think, in, in, in uh, pushing and leveraging and really stepping up to, you know, the people who got the money, the people in power, the people with the authority, the people who have the, the clout and all that, right? And then, and then leveraging that for the people who need the work of what you do, you know what I mean? And there's a good balance in business structure in that, I, I think, personally. Okay. Yeah, I would agree. It's like you have to be able to pimp out your, you know, pimp yourself out, but within your own parameters. Right. I, I know my college gigs pay more than any other show I would perform at, but I've had college gigs where there are five, ten kids in the audience who aren't really paying attention to me, but the check still clears, right? And then I come back to Atlanta where they're char I'm charging five dollars at the door for a packed venue. I'm not bringing in nearly as much as I would at this college show, but now I'm not in a position where I got to pay out of pocket. You know, I don't got to go to the ATM now because this college gig just paid for me to do something that I want to do in my community anyway. Even? Yeah, I had a, a couple notes I wanted to make. And, you know, I used to, um, I think when I first started touring, like, you know, Talam was like, you know, you can't charge a regular open mic venue but you would charge a college you'll shut that venue down and you know like i've i've seen stuff like that happen where a poll would be like nah my price is 800 plus plane ticket in a hotel and that venue go oh well, we really want this poet to come out there they're going to do a lot for our community they're going to bring people out there and then they don't make that money back and then that venue's done like it just it doesn't ever bounce back then that venue just doesn't exist anymore and so i've always gotten into the mentality that like okay if, if i if i have a college gig in area I'll do that local open mic for 50 bucks or whatever you want to pay me, right? Or if I have a local college gig that night, I'll go to your high school for free and run a workshop. You feel me? Like I always balance it out, right? And so the mentality I'm in now is like, it's one for one. So if I get paid for something, somebody gets something for free. If somebody buys one of my books, I give a book away, right? And I did a whole campaign where I gave away 3,032 books because that was the title of my book. And I'm like, I want to give I don't want people to pay for shit. If you can't afford this art, it's yours for free. Take it, you know? And I think that that has always been the mentality that I've been trying to push with. And there's people that can't afford it and will love to pay you for that. And, and especially knowing that mindset, people will give you more. So, you know, we have a workshop series that we do in, in Los Angeles now. And Los Angeles is one of them cities where people will pay $600 for a 12 week workshop that they're taking for an acting class. You know, and they're just like, cool, cool, man, $500 and, and it goes nowhere, right? And so I'm like, cool, well, our workshop series is 40 bucks a week for a three hour session. You pay it and if you pay that full $40 out every week, somebody comes for free. And so we give mad scholarships out, we do all that good stuff and um, I actually left off. Uh, <laughs> and uh, yeah, I think I think it's, it's, it's always gotta be that one for one for me, which is, you know, if, if somebody pays me what, what I'm worth, then then I give, you know, what a, a place deserves. And I, I think it's always, you know, that's what dro drives me to do my work in the detention facilities um, because these kids don't get good educators most of the time. They don't get anybody that, they don't even get their family to come visit them. So like, yeah, I'm in there giving you what I would give this college that was gonna pay me three or five grand, I'm giving to you for free in your classroom right in front of you, you feel me? Uh, whether it be that workshop, whether it be that, and I do it on that same level. And I think that, I think that that is always a good balance to echo what, what Dennis was saying earlier, that you, you gotta, if you get one, you gotta get one. And that's just the mentality that works for me, has worked well in my career, um, and has always, and then sometimes, you know, things will, things will come back to you. Uh, LA bought me out here because I coached a B&B team in Jacksonville for, for five plus years successfully and came out of my pocket every single year. You know what I'm saying? I went and then I was like, cool, well, what happens if I don't have to worry about money? I went to Richmond, coached their team for free. You know what I'm saying? They did not pay me. They just gave me a couch to sleep on for a few months and I coached their team and I'm like, cool. Took them to final stage, we did good. And I'm like, let's see where I can leverage this success into something cool. Then I'm like, I'm gonna go to Leeds. Leeds England did not pay me to come coach their team. When I was over there coaching their team, I booked a Europe tour. 
and I paid for myself to stay out there. And I was touring and coaching. And then when I came back and people saw me and this LA community saw me and they're like, oh wow, you've been coaching Jacksonville, you've been coaching the Richmond, the Leeds. Wow, what are you gonna do now? You wanna come to LA? We can pay you X amount of money. Bet, you have a budget, you've seen what I'm doing, pay me my budget and let's rock. You know what I'm saying? And then you build it up from that. And that's how I'm stuck out here now. I don't know what the fuck. Nice. Sean? Uh, this is real quick. Um, along with that balance, when you do those kinds of things, folks recognize it and they'll look out for you. Uh, one of the beautiful things is having people, and I, and when I, you know, having people pull me to the side um, in network, other artists or other folks who are like in the conversations around resources, and they'll let you know. Like I got cussed out one day because someone hit me up and asked me, you know, what I would charge to do something. And I honestly thought that, like, I take I told him something pretty reasonable. You know what I'm saying? Like, it wasn't it wasn't a little bit of money. Like, it was definitely, you know, a decent amount for for the time that in my mind I oh, it was going to take me. <laughs> and actually, I got cussed out twice. But this first time, this is the first time it happened. I happened to run into someone that I knew who was on the panel of advisors for the project and was at the meeting when my name got offered because the person who reached out to me went back to the meeting with my rate. And that person ran up on me and cussed me out because they had access to the total budget. And said so they were like, yo, do you understand what some of these other folks are asking for to be a part of this project? And I was like, no, I don't. I, they asked me what I charged, I charged, I told them how much I would do it for. I won't do it for no less than this. And she was like, bro, don't do that again. Don't do that again. And that was the first time I got, I got, had the same thing happen about, about grants. I have it, and I happened to know someone who was a, who worked for a funder. And same thing, I got pulled to the side and was like, yo, do not stop whatever you're, whatever you're doing. Um, Cause you know, these, these prices and things aren't darn, don't translate to every situation, you know? And so, but that's only because when you carry yourself and you do things a certain way and people see it, then they're like, nah, these folks over here telling people they're charging whatever and they ain't doing good work and they ain't, they ain't, they ain't acting right. You do. So come here, let me tell you what's happening in these back rooms. And, you know, and so that, that reciprocity also comes to where people will, and they'll give you a heads up, like, this is what's coming down. This is the pot of money. Um, I've had people tell me, like, this is specifically how much of it you asked for before you before before I tell them to call <laughs> and I'm like word um, just as a way of making sure that you know the right people have access to some of these things right so the, the last question you have something Joan no okay the last question that I'm going to ask is how have you been affected by um, what's going on with COVID-19 and the fact that we're not able to, to go out and about, you're not able to, to be able to go out and perform venues, conduct workshops, any of those things. Um, how has that affected you uh, professionally and monetarily? I'll start because it's been both positive and negative. Um, so I did, obviously all the college gigs were canceled, um, but it's given me more time to focus on projects that I don't need to travel to do. Like I've been saying this second project needs to come out because my writing has changed so much since that 2017 project came out. Now that I'm forced to sit still, I have to, you know, do the, do the other artist things that I was saying I was too busy to do before when I was on the road. But also it's forcing, and I think all of us, cause I've seen us all on social media probably a little more than I had in, in, the, in the past in terms of engaging our, our audiences. And I think it's brilliant to bring Zoom to poets, right? Bring, you know, bring IGTV to, uh, or bring our writing workshops uh, to this space because even if we get back to normal or what the way life was before all of this, Instagram ain't going nowhere. That IG live feature ain't going nowhere. Zoom is not, so all the, the audiences we're building now, we can we can continue to um, build on that. You know, somebody from London hopped on my, um, my open mic two weeks ago 
London. When am I ever going to bring somebody from London to Atlanta? So just finding ways to uh, to, to get my brand out there to, a, to an even bigger audience by using these platforms. Um, but yeah, so, and that's just me trying to see the glasses half, <laughs> half full. Uh, but yeah, I definitely did lose lose those college gigs indefinitely. You know, I had one college that was like, okay, well, well, they was I was supposed to go in uh, in March. They said we'll book you in October. I'm not even pressed about that at this point because now I have to think about how I we we don't they don't know that they're gonna be open <laughs> in October. So I think just learning from each other and the content we're putting out there. Uh, and supporting supporting each other, right? I, I see a lot of full-time artists and who I consider to be professional poets on this roster. Cuban, I think you're one on this roster for um, the festival. As soon as I saw it, you know, and there's an early bird discount, I, I hopped on board because I want to support you know, this is this is what full-time artists have resorted to. And I think that's my responsibility as well. Support those artists who who I really rock with and want to see them use this use this platform at this time. Yeah, you know, um, I love I love I love how Tiffany's like get that email though. Yeah, <laughs> get that email though. Go get, get that email, email though. Ain't nothing changed. Ain't nothing changed. I'm telling you because I didn't I didn't been through the. <laughs> get that email because I've been through the MySpace and I've been through the Facebook algorithm, but I've been through and I know um, I went to an influencer workshop and that day that Facebook and Instagram shut down for that day, and them girls was flipping out because their whole income is based off this platform that they don't even own. One of my um, bloggers I follow on YouTube, she just created her own streaming platform. Erica Badu did the same thing with her first concert. She charged a dollar per person, had 400 something, 50,000 people on it. So, I, so I, it goes back to owning your own stuff and not being so dependent. But it, you know, I'm real big. And so that guy from London, make sure you get this information so he'll be with you for the rest of your life. Okay. And that's absolutely, <laughs> what you're saying is absolutely true. You, you, build, you build relationships with people for the rest of their life. And it's wild because, you know, I've, I've, I've coached and mentored and worked with so many youth that, that I have this fan base that ages along with me. And so you got all the, I got kids that have been like following me since like their freshman year in high school that have now went on into college and had positions of power where they're like, well, we're bringing you in to teach a workshop and do some stuff because blah, blah, blah. And so you get, I like put these little like time bombs and, and, and these young people be like, all right, we can get to college now. No, uh, but um, but I think it's, um, I think it's true. I think this, this COVID thing is, 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 has been wild. Um, I've honestly probably been, um, I won't say just as busy because I don't have to sit in traffic anymore, and that's what's up. Um, but I've been pretty, pretty busy um, with 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 all this stuff. We're doing Zoom workshops pretty regularly, um, about every day of the week, um, with with the organization I work with. Um, and I think the, the the biggest thing that it's really, and you know, we, you know, my wife and I, we lost like probably like fifteen grand at least just from the workshop series that we were that we do. We were literally about to start our sixth cycle. Um, and like I said, you know, we do like 40 bucks a session and then all this. We had, you know, we had like 30 people signed up for our sixth cycle that were ready to take all 12 sessions. And, and you know, so it was a good amount uh, of money that we just, we weren't able to hit. And so that messes up some of the relationships we built. But a lot of stuff has been going on Zoom. And the biggest thing that I think is really wild about this whole thing is that it might permanently change what the artist, especially arts and education field looks like for the foreseeable future. I know in Los Angeles, the big thing that they're talking now is that, you know, we might not get the type of funding that we got last year to do the type of programming that we did because that funding is like, that was like icing on the cake type funding and all that icing is going to fix other shit. And so, you know, we're in a position now that we're like, we, we don't know what the landscape is gonna look like next year, um, especially with the detention facilities. You know, we're, we're, I'm trying to teach workshops over the phone with these detention facilities because they don't let the kids use uh, uh, laptops or cameras or anything like that. So, I mean, you can imagine that, you know, the most difficult workshop you already were, were, were running is now being done on the phone. And so whatever power you had is, is, is completely gone. So it's just been a really wild 
and 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 interesting thing and i'm and the thing that has me most nervous is like what's going to happen at the end of this are are you know one of the things that we're a part of right here is we're parts of this arts for incarcerated youth network and like i think it's like one percent of all the funding that is invested into los angeles's building funds go into this art art pool um and that that like nobody's building anything like nobody's investing money into stuff like that so that pool has completely dropped out and us not even being able to go into the camps people been getting fired left and right um i'm fortunate enough that you know uh california is just you know super liberal and they're, and they're really taking this super serious and so the organizations are trying to help out their artists but um but it's been tough man it, it, there's a lot of there's a lot of scariness that's out there about all this COVID stuff and the field might be completely changed. I mean, think about these colleges, you know what I mean? Like these colleges may not be booking people like they booked people last year, like those budgets are gone. And so I think that's the scariest thing about all this is not current, not now, but what's, what is next year gonna look like for a lot of these artists? Yeah, definitely. Anybody else, how, how has this COVID affected you professionally, financially, impacting the sun? Um. So I'm, I'm, you know, I'm blessed. I've been, been working, but um, fortunately, because I work in arts and culture, I'm in all of the conversations about how do we help artists, how do we raise funds, what's accessible, talking to funders and make sure that they can have access to the funding that they, that, you know, because people's residencies, everything got canceled, um, and I know on the administration side, I work with artists who are also touring. So their responsibility for the for, the, for, the, for what I manage is just four weeks out of the year. Rest of the time, you know, they're Broadway, whatever, whatever. And so a lot of that, one of my artists, because of their touring schedule, not going to have hadn't been hadn't been to North Carolina all year, and was going to be here for the month of April. So that whole year of work. That had got planned and scheduled that I that I organized and, and had all kinds of community partners and folks in place for the whole that whole thing got canceled. Um, so luckily, funders were you know they've been good about being able to shift um, funding and keep that open for these artists. But you know, major presenter all the way down to community organizations, it's been meeting after meeting trying to figure out how to navigate it, and that's adults, community artists, local artists national artists and then also um, projects that folks are trying to do to make sure to keep youth engaged um, and uh, and to help support them especially a lot of work thinking about their mental health right now um, so that's that's been like and then that's been my my week to week is these conversations about what is this all gonna look like um, I know the university that I work and teach at also um, who knows if they're going to be able to present anything all academic year. Mm -hmm. um, and so what does that mean for all of the artists across that campus? You know, because the organization, I, the presenting organization on campus is just one aspect. That's usually large scale performances. That's not the folks who would bring the poets, which is another aspect of campus. That's not the theater that's on campus. And so all of those actors and all of those productions for a season. Um, that's not the works in progress series, you know, and who they would normally bring in a book. And that's none of the speakers um, for anybody they would want to bring in for any of the individual activities. All of that is up in the air. Um, and so, you know, that's what I'm navigating now is how, what kind of conversations can we have? What kind of things can we, and also what kind of things can we do so that we can pay, so we can pay some people. Um, and so, um, so it's kind of, that's one foot in that, on the on, you know while also having conversations because all of my stuff for the spring got canceled away and most of it's not going to get rescheduled some of it's going to go virtual um and so what does that look like for me and some of the things and some of the projects um meetings i got there's a specifically there's a project that i'm working on that's centered around health disparities um and there's two universities involved and i'm the playwright for that project because uh, ethnodrama is the community outreach portion, um, and there's a different health disparity addressed here. Um, so, um, this this is this is supposed to be the second production that was supposed to come out, and that got canceled. So that work is interrupted. Um, 
and that was particularly about opioids. So like in the midst, so then you have, you know, like this, this work that is engaged, intended to engage communities doesn't happen. Um, so like, what are they doing? What are they doing? And now, you know, I just got word I'm supposed to shift energy and they're looking to address COVID now as the next thing that I'm being asked to write. So like these, I'm lucky because, you know, the project continues, the work continues. I mean, I can keep continuing to earn, but the work doesn't happen. So even the things that are intended to help folks, like you don't get a chance to be in the community with people because we can't be with people. So, you know, for someone like me who works with organizations specifically to help them how to engage communities, it's really tough when I have no communities to engage and they don't know how to engage, like I, we can't put our hands on people. Um, so that's been the tough part is figuring that aspect out when you, you know, when that's so much a part of my work. It's like, how can we like put this part in people's hands and what can we do and how can we heal? And it's like, well, we can't because we can't gather them. We can't go see them. Thank you. They can't hold a Zoom call. We got nothing for them right now. So if having yeah. to Yeah, the, the COVID has really shown the what we've already known with the disparity uh, it, um, in terms of healthcare, but more importantly with technology. With the schools, you've seen that the students have had to, you know, move to you know um, web-based um, teaching education, and you know the, the schools were scrambling to find laptops. And so that to me that wasn't the first issue. The first issue was can we get internet? into the home because just because you give them a laptop, it doesn't help them if they don't have internet access. And so trying to get them, you know, internet access and then the, their parents, you have certain families where they have to get to work. They have to be out and about, you know, they, they don't have that luxury of, of being home. So who's going to be home with the kids? So it's this, this is, it's been, it's been an eye opener. It's really just, it's been interesting. Uh, so that was my final question. Does anybody have anything else that, that, that they would like to uh, say? You want to say anything about any, I don't say any upcoming projects, but I think we know that everything is put on hold for now. But if you want to give your, your, um, your, your Twitter, Instagram, Facebook handles. I got, a, uh, I got a project actually drop in next month on my birthday. And what is that project? You just have to wait and see. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, <laughs> Matthew, surprise, man! I'm pop up on your doorstep. No, um, I'm, I'm dropping my second uh, hip hop album um, on June 16th, um, which I'm really, really excited about. Um, and uh, oh my God, thank you, Alicia. Jesus Christ. Breakfast. Um, yeah, uh, very, very excited. Um, it's an album I'm, I'm actually really, really proud of. We're gonna do like a Zoom party listening session. Um, so, you know, be on the lookout. So I'd love to see your faces if you wanna come in. Um, and uh, yeah, it's it's a, it's another project that will be uh, free to, for, for everybody. Um, so, you know, it's a music project. So you'll, it'll be streaming on Spotify and pretty much anywhere where you get music. So um, check it out. I, I'm super proud of this project and I think you'll like it if you listen. I have your, um, I was moving stuff in the living room and I was moving my CDs into the spare bedroom and I had to move, you know, all of the CDs that I had and I'm going through them and I'm like, Joan, Cuban, Ebony. <laughs> I have all of these poetry CDs. I have that, what was it, Planet of Dreams? When Cuban was like 18. Yeah. You sit I don't even have that. I have that. I have all right these there. poetry CDs. So many years, and I've got Joan's book, I've got Joan's CD, got a book, <laughs> everything. And and Tanya, those kind of things need to be archived. We have like um, with Soul Release, we have every photo that Brother Douglas took, and we had we and so we have, I have all these. I have like a whole case of like CDs, you know, when the five dollar Sharpie CD, I mean ten dollar Sharpie CD, because that's what they used to do back in the day. Just write, I am a poet, their name, and sell it for ten dollars. And so we have all those, we have those pictures of, you know, the polished stuff y'all, y'all doing now, they weren't really doing it back then, but we have a, but Taryn and I have talked about archiving that so the history won't be lost. Um, in terms of like, 
because a lot of times people, so we'll, we'll realize, and I know I talked to Camille, who was the female version of Positive Third, and me and her used to talk a lot, because a lot of stuff that I went through when I was doing mine, she went through it too, being, um, the, they were like early, they were like the mid-90s in Jacksonville, and so a lot of those same struggles with venues, stuff like that, me and her used to talk a lot about that, but definitely preserving that, that history, and it sounds like you've got some vintage Cuban over there, but back in the day, that might be in an antique store somewhere or on the vintage website. So got Malika, she had the the, uh, the bag oh. for the cover. I got everything. It's all signed. What you got going on, Dennis? Yeah. What are your handles? You gotta come off mute. You are mute. My bad. <laughs> <laughs> uh, one, one thing I'm grateful for is my name, uh, the uniqueness of my name. So you can find me under everything, Dennis Amadeus, um, you know what I mean? Uh, all the things, Instagram. I, I drop, I drop, I'm on this wave where my goal is to drop uh, a poem every week for a year on Tuesday on my Instagram. So I've been trying to make, uh, make that happen. I, I'm on three now, so we'll see. But uh, the goal is, to, I, I'm sitting on a lot of poems that I haven't performed because they weren't slam worthy or whatever. I mean, I, I, I write a lot more than I perform, you know, a lot more than what I put out. And so um, I think I want to push, you know, like like uh, like Joan said, you know, it's just, this is a time um, for me to uh, be able to just focus on my own stuff, you know, my own brand, my own uh, social media uh, lookout, right? And. I need, I'm trying to really position myself in a place where I can, um, you know, have a reason for looking for an agent, if that makes sense. You know what I mean? Like right now, no matter how good I am, I'm well aware that I can't, you know, nobody in Kansas is going to be like, oh, Dennis Amadeus. Yeah, I know that guy. Let me go pay to see him. You know what I'm saying? So it's like, I need to find a way to get, um, <laughs> I need to find a way to get my, you know, some kind of, I think anyways, so I can get to a higher level of my performance. Anyways, you didn't ask for all that. You should ask for my social media handle. But, uh, <laughs> It's all good, Dennis. Nobody wants to see me in Kansas either, bro. <laughs> you would be surprised. You would be surprised. Someone in Walla Walla, Washington was advocating for my black ass. Me. Me. 1.6% <laughs> black. That, that's all of the camp there on their campus. <laughs> Got somebody in London, too, looking for you. <laughs> yeah. You know, all that to say, don't sleep on yourself. No, no I appreciate that. I appreciate that. But yeah. But no, nah, but that's that's um so that's a lot of the focus I've been I've been putting on, man. And I yo, can I speak on one thing real quick? One thing I'm appreciative of, as much as I miss everybody and every person and being around, um, it wasn't until this time of COVID that I realized how much I am influenced by other people and other people's opinions and what other people are doing. And now that everybody's stopped and now that I get to sit here and center and like, well, what do I care about in my career and my art and my poetry and my words and not what do I think is gonna be popular and the most you know what I mean? It's it's changed so much. It's changed even my confidence. I, I feel like just in general, I'm more confident as an individual just because I've realized how much I actually let other people influence me. Sometimes compromise my values a little bit on things. You know what I'm saying? So um, I'm I, I'm actually appreciative of that. As much as I desperately want to be around people, because trust me, I'm an extrovert to the core. But I'm very thankful that I get to um, know what I want for once. You know, know what I need. Anyways. Anything, anybody else? Well, thank you guys. Is on? Yes? No? Cuban? You finished eating? I just want, yeah, I'm so sorry. I'm eating my food in front of y'all. Um, it was terrible. You and Joan keep on going back to the picture. I know. I'm like, I'm like stuffing Joan, pancakes Joan in my face right too. now. Joan was eating too. Go ahead. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I just wanted to let y'all know and let everybody know who's watching this that um, um, every Tuesday, uh, the organization that I work with and myself, we offer a free writing and meditation circle on Zoom every single Tuesday. Anybody can join us and it's a really beautiful process. Um, we, we talk a lot about indigenous teachings and just just, just really healthy practices. So um, I'll, uh, I'll share a link and it's all over my Facebook or Instagram page. Um, so y'all are welcome to join. It's from uh, four to six uh, Pacific time. Um, so like seven o'clock East Coast time and uh, come join us. It's a really dope process and it's free and you can get some writing done. And I'll be thank you for doing that, Cuban. Yes, thank you, Cuban. Hold it 
Uh, I'll be quick. I'm Desan Ahanu. I'm the only person with that name. D-A-S-A-N-A-H-A-N-U. <laughs> you can find out anything. Um, I think the most immediate thing is uh, we're going to maybe roll it out a new website soon, probably within the next few weeks, hopefully. And then from that point on, uh, everything that's going to be happening coming down the pipe will be sending around rolling that out. Um, and um, But yeah, there are things coming late summer and then into the fall. Um, offerings, music, the next manuscript, hopefully if everything goes well. But I'll find it on the website and I'm the sign of Hano across all social media. Well, thank you guys. Um, I, I think, well, not that I think, I know I'm going to divide this up. I'm going to put it in, cut it up, chop it up two parts because of the how long that it is. And once that everything is, is complete, I'll let you, you all know when it's going to go up. Thanks for having us. Thank you, Tanya. This was great. I enjoyed speaking with you, meeting you, Desan, and and having Ashley on and Ebony. So this was great. So um, yes. I'm not, I'm going. I'm not sure if you guys would be open to doing something similar like this, similar to this in the future. But I'll reach out to you. It's a different topic. I think that our experiences are so so unique, and I think that people outside of the poetry spoken word community have no idea. Um, so when I have conversations with friends who are outside of that world. They're really, um, they're intrigued and they're, you know, they find it very interesting. And I, I find, like I, like I told you, I think that people who are in the business of poetry are some of the, the brightest people and they can really show you how to put, be a business person within that art form opposed to somebody who just went to school for it. You know, there's value in going to school, but I think there's value in that um, the education that you get from just the life experiences reaching out to those other people who've done it and saying, you know, how much should I charge for this book? The person that I used for used was mainly like Tiffany and then artists who would come here to Jacksonville, I'd say, you know, how much should you charge for a book? How much should you charge for a CD? And, you know, and try and you know, make make some uh, revenue from it. But I've enjoyed our time today. Um, I will talk to you guys soon. Enjoy the rest of your day. Cuban, you're just starting your day. Finish your meals, Joan and Cuban. I appreciate you guys. Take care. Uh, Tanya, congratulations. Congratulations. You're a beautiful, a wonderful mediator, and I can't wait to see this project and what you're doing with it. It really expand and explode, and I'm definitely going to subscribe to your podcast. You guys, you guys were fun. I forgot. I've missed you all. In the <laughs> introvert. Take care. Bye, Bye y'all. Bye. <laughs>